we're, um, as you are aware, if you've been coming for a little while, we're working through Genesis 12 to 50 and we're looking at a faithful God. We're looking at these men of faith in, in the back end in the second half of Genesis and how God interacted with them and how despite who they were, His faithfulness to them. So I want to read the first 18 and 19 verses of um, uh, Genesis 22 with you right now. You know, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he rose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, that's a long walk, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, his servants, you stay here with the donkey, I and the boy, we will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, he laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went, so they went both of them together when they came to the place of which God had told him Abraham built the altar there and he laid the wood in it in order and then he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son but the angel of the Lord called from heaven and said Abraham Abraham and he said here I am he said do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him but now I know that you fear God seeing you haven't withheld your son your only son from me And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. So Abraham went, took the ram, and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And as it is to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven, and he said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you've done this, and you've not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his men, and they rose and went to Beersheba. Abraham lived there. You know, I <laughs> we, we're kind of... We had this discussion in the office because we're going through 12 to 50 and we're getting into some parts of, of Genesis where you feel like, I could be here for weeks. This is one of them. So we're not going to be here for weeks. There is so much in this that would be wonderful to speak on and there's so much to see and so many astounding things. And um, I encourage you, if you get a chance to read some of this and read a bit of what's going on there, uh, you'll be quite surprised at um, how great God is. But back to today, the story of a faithful God, faithful to the promise is what we've been talking about, you know, the journey of these men in, in Genesis. And I guess what we're doing is we're mirroring, the, we're mirroring that with the journey of our church, isn't it? The church is also going through, uh, like, and all churches do, is going through a process, going through a journey. And we're looking for, in Genesis, we're looking for the signs of a faithful God. We're looking for a God that loves and intervenes. 
and we look for the same in our lives, don't we? We look for the same in our church as well. You know, last week, Glenn said the story is all about God. And um, by the end of this message, I'm going to repeat that. The story is all about God. And you get to see how amazing God is. But at first glance, you read this story. And if you've never read this story before, you would think, oh my goodness, wouldn't you? You know, you read the story and think, a faithful God? You know, more like a super faithful and obedient Abraham, right? Can this be a God? What's going on here? How does this fit into the narrative that we're trying to create, this story of God always being loving and faithful to his people? This sounds a lot more like a God who tests the loyalty of a follower uh, in a really hefty way because it ramped up really quickly, didn't it? Like, you know, it starts off after these things and then boom, it just ramps up and he says, sacrifice your son. So the, how do we look at this? What, what do we do? How, how could we be encouraged here? How could this encourage us, this story? Well, I think when you take a step back, and that's why you know Glenn's done it last week, and he, I know he did it the week before, and I'm going to do it again, encourage you to read the whole story if you can. You know, read it like a story. Sometimes it helps me not to see them like chapters in the Bible, but just read it like a story, and um, it makes a big difference. When we take a step back and we look at this whole section of Genesis or this narrative, this story, we have and we do see a faithful God. You know, the past weeks we've had these sermons and we've really seen how faithful God has been to them. And, and, you know, and if you handpick the stories, and that's why sometimes you get some of these stories and you think, why don't we skip and go to a more positive one? Because if you handpick the stories, you can show a faithful God from our perspective. But we want to be able to say that God is faithful from his perspective, from every perspective, not just from our perspective. You know, that's what I do. I handpick stuff and I, you know, I go and talk to people. I might spend time with Isaac, like he said, or I spend time with someone and you pick a scripture and say, oh, isn't that really cool? That's me handpicking it and trying to help God into a good light. You know, we can do that. What we want to see and what I think we see here is that from God's perspective, he is a faithful God to us as his people. How good God is. And like I said, there's so many sermons here, but this is a part of the narrative. And believe it or not, this is the act of a good and loving God. This is a passionate God who realizes his children need to stay close to him for their own good. He knew that Abraham and Sarah and his people needed to stay close so that they could be blessed. And he was going to be their source of blessing. He was going to be the one that, that, that made it all come true. The sands of the seashore, the stars in the sky. This is a passionate God who realizes his children need to stay close. And this is a God who knows that we, and, and Abraham and Sarah were no different, can be easily led away or we can be easily distracted by our lives. And uh, how many of you never ever get distracted? Only me. You know, and, and this is a God that, that loves his children, even though we try to outrun God. You know, and you might remember Glenn's sermon last week where, with uh, Ishmael, and, and we try to outrun God or we try to make it happen. You know, um, we spent quite some years in YWAM, and I share with a lot of the young people I catch up with, you know, the whole idea of prophecy. I, I love it when, when, when you get a word of prophecy or something like that. But the big mistake we often make is we get this prophecy and then we switch our lives to try to make it happen, to live towards it. But it was God's word. And if it's God's word, it's going to happen because God said so. You know, and, and Glenn helped us understand last week that there was a word that God had for, for Abraham and Sarah and they and Sarah and they got it and 
They both got impatient and tried to make it happen. We can do that as well. And maybe we can at times, and this is true of Abraham and Sarah, we can be more obsessed by the gift than the giver. And so whilst there's a ton of lessons in this story, this is one of them. Isaac was a gift. He was the gift, wasn't he? Long desired, long awaited, real long in fact. And he was pretty special. Go figure, you have a baby at 100 mums, changing nappies at 100, 90. Actually, Abraham was 100. Men probably didn't do nappies in those days, did they? No, I'm, I'm seeing that. So it's pretty easy to imagine they've waited a long time for Isaac. They've waited for the promise. You know, you're, you're, Abraham, Sarah will, have, will bear you a child. And Sarah, you're going to have a child. And so it's pretty easy to imagine that when he comes along, that he'd be more than just the apple of their eye. Wouldn't he? He'd be amazingly loved and doted on. In fact, in chapter 21, if you read the chapter before this, Sarah even felt that Ishmael was a threat to Isaac. Ishmael was, was, was not the real one and, and Isaac was the one and she didn't want to share any of that glory or want Isaac to have to share any of that. And she tells Abraham to get rid of Hagar and if you read that in 21 and, and, and send them away because she feels threatened by them. You see, Isaac is everything and that's not how God intended it to be he God is the source of the blessing and fulfillment not Isaac I'm looking I'm sorry Isaac I'm just saying your name heaps but I mean you you are a blessing and (laughs) you see God was and is everything the gift is great but the giver is even greater. And see, now Abraham and Sarah, they figured that they knew how God was going to fulfill his promise. Here's Isaac, now we'll take it from here. You know, this is our man, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to give it, we'll take it from here. Now you might think that even if that's true, and even if God thought it wasn't best for them just to focus on Isaac and lose their focus on him, that he'd make it clear in perhaps some more gentler ways, easier ways maybe, before going this far. Well, the thing is, we, we don't know if he did or didn't do that. We, we don't get to read that. We don't get to see whether um, God had a few bites at the cherry to talk to Abraham about this. What we do know is that Abraham and God talked and related a lot. So in my mind, there must have been conversations with Abraham and God around all of Abraham's life. We do know that they had a great relationship They were clearly in conversation. You get Abraham's immediate yes, God, when God calls. So that says that, hey, I'm in touch with you. I've I've been talking to you. I recognize your voice. I know you're around. I know you speak to me. And we get that immediate yes, God. So there might have been a few other nudges, perhaps. We don't get to read that, so we can't theologically say that. And it may have been that Abraham just wasn't responding to the more gentle messages You see, God also knew Abraham. The Bible says that Abraham knew God, but God knew Abraham even better. And God knew that this would definitely get Abraham's attention. He knew that Abraham was enamored, bewitched by this new boy, you know, Abraham. And and he knew that this would definitely get his attention. He would get this picture that God was drawing. He would understand the depth of what God was asking him to do. And he would be obedient, and he was. Did you notice verse 3? It doesn't say Abraham struggled with this, so he waited for a few confirmations and asked for a few people if they could pray for him for confirmations. That's what we do. 
you know, or we say really, really weird things like, you know, all right, God, if I see three camels with five humps and, you know, in the middle of Melbourne, yeah, that's confirmation number one. It says in verse three, so Abraham rose early the next morning and saddled his donkey, like the next morning, you know, so, and they had time then. The next morning was the next morning. You know, can you imagine that uncomfortable, um, the uncomfortable conversation with Sarah? Where are you going tomorrow? Somewhere. I've done that before. So, <laughs> so there's, there's this sense where he really was obedient. He knew when God spoke that he understood that something was going on here. You know, if you read further and in the, uh, in the, the NIV, it, talks, it, it says here that he cut wood for the thing. In the NIV, he said he cut enough wood. Have you ever looked at a 16-year-old? Isaac was probably about 16. Have you ever looked at a 16-year-old and had a look? I wonder how much wood it's going to take to burn him up when he's your son. And he's not just your son. Remember right at the start, verse 2, take your son, your only son, Isaac, who you love. So there's this real sense that Abraham knows that God is doing something. He knows there's something happening and he knows that he needs to be obedient. And Ab- but Abraham also knew God. God knew Abraham, but Abraham knew God and he trusted him enough to obey. He trusted him and he wasn't sure how God would do this thing, but he trusted him anyway. If you have a look at Hebrews, and I'll just read you two verses over there of Hebrews chapter 11. when In chapter 11, Hebrews talks about all the men of faith. And this is what he says about Abraham, the writer to the Hebrews. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac... He who he had received the promises was in fact offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through this Isaac shall your offspring be named. But he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You see, he had to let him go and God needed to create a picture there. What's more, God would use this situation to remind Abraham of his covenant and what it means. He would, he would reestablish and reaffirm the covenant that Glenn spoke on a few weeks ago. But now it gets cool because he's not just doing it to Abraham. Right through this, he's showing us. He's reaffirming covenant right through the ages, right through to us. So he redraws for Abraham the meaning of their covenant, that when a covenant is broken, whether it's a drift away or, or a distraction or, or a disobedience, when the covenant is broken, when the commitment between two people is broken, another body must be broken, another body must be sacrificed. And while Abraham thinks it's his son, because he gets the picture, he understands how God works. While Abraham thinks it's his son, God steps in with a ram. And rescues Abraham from the consequences of his, act, of his action just at the right time. You know, and this is a picture for us too. Because for us it was Jesus, wasn't it? We're a part of the covenant. And God says, just at the right time, I will break my son's body. And he will be the lamb or the ram for you. You might have drifted. Your disobedience. I will rescue you just at the right time. I will get your attention so I have the right place in your heart, so I have the right place in your, in your community. And then I'm going to remind you that I have a great plan because you see what he does? He reminds Abraham afterwards. He reminds him of the promise. He reminds him that he's going to build a great nation. And so while we can get caught up in the, and there's probably lots of lessons in there, If we take the big picture view, we see that God is not willing to let Abraham slip away. He's not willing to let Abraham risk this promise. 
by wasting it on one boy, one man. He was going to get Abraham's attention again. You know, and so this, when we're going through these messages, over time in Genesis, we see the, the ebb and flow. People drift away. God calls them back. People get distracted. These great men of faith have these incredibly disobedient moments, and God gets their attention, but always with the goal of showing them who he is, what he wants for them, and where he's taking them. You see, with humans, vision leaks, doesn't it? We get vision, God speaks to us, we get all energized, we get excited, but we leak. We get distracted, think, you know, and it's true of those men there. We get easily caught up in our own ideas and expressions. You know, I'm thinking, well, so how does this encourage us? What does it say to us? For us as a church, you know, where I said before, we've nearly been going for 25 years. People come in, new partners, a gift, just like Isaac's a gift. This Isaac is a gift now. Joel and Sabrina, gift. Stephen, Karen, gift. All of you, gift. New people come in, new partners. And people go. Leaders, pastors come, then they go. Programs, expressions and ideas of ministries come and they go again. We get caught up in, in our way of serving or, or making things happen and sometimes we can focus on the gifts you know, like the people or, or the ministries or the traditions or the structures or whatever it is, we can focus on the gifts at times even more than the giver. And God does the same for us, doesn't he? Sometimes it's an easy message that sort of knocks us back into shape and sometimes it's a bit of a shocker. I need to get your attention. I need to tell you again that I love you, that I have a plan. I need to remind you and, and re-establish that relationship, remind you of the promise that I've spoken over you. You see, because the promise that he spoke over Abraham, we are that. We're part of that promise. We're part of living out that covenant. And that same promise is over us. And God says, I'm doing what I always plan to do. And I'll continue. Just like he said to Abraham, I will continue to honor our covenant. And the best part? I have already taken care of the brokenness. I've already done it. I've already rescued you at the right time. And we are so blessed to have such a faithful God who despite the ebb and flow of our lives, He stays true to His covenant with us. I, and the word says, I will be your God and you will be my children. You see, God's ultimate message of faithfulness was and is right in Jesus. He's the one we look at. And we can look at Abraham, we can look at how God did that with Abraham and Isaac and everyone. But for us, God's picture of faithfulness is in His Son, Jesus, in Jesus Christ. Just like the men of faith we're teaching on these days, we too get distracted, we walk into disobedience, we try to do it our way, we figure we know what's best, and we say, ah, we'll take it from here, we've got this. And yeah, I think it's true that even as individuals and as a church, we can drift sometimes, can't we? We can drift a little bit off course. God showed Abraham quite radically that he would provide the sacrifice, that he was not prepared to let Abraham and the future just slip away. He would step in and he'd provide what was needed to make things right. And by doing that, he would re-establish that relationship with Abraham because he knew that Abraham needed it. And he knew that Abraham would need him, God, for the task ahead. 
And you see this is now I know that you fear, or some versions love God. You didn't even withhold your only son. You let go and you grabbed onto me when I reminded you. You know, and that's the faithfulness of God because He's the only one that can take us home. Jesus is the only one that can take us home. God is the only one that knows how to run my and your life the best. Oh, look, I often think I do, and I'm, I'm, I'm in good company here. But let me tell you, God is the only one. He says, Abraham, you did let go and you grabbed hold of me. And that's what we're challenging. God is so faithful to get our attention so that we can let go of what's dragging us away and we can grab a hold of him and the promises that he made. He said, God's the same with us, his covenant children. He did step in for me and you. He sent Jesus. He provided what was needed to make our relationship right and to reestablish and remind us of the promise that he has been is and will be building us into a great family, a great family of God that would point to Him and bring Him glory in the world. So as Glenn said last week, and I said I was going to finish with this, so in the end, it is always about God and not us. It is. It is about Him. (laughs) Abraham was rescued not because he was so faithful, but because God is. And the same is true for us. We come, we go, we grow, we shrink, we move fast or slow, but we are his children. And we share in a great promise of eternal life, being part of that enormous family. Not because we're so good, but because God is and he's faithful to his promises for you and me. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for truth. We want to thank you that <laughs> we want to thank you that when we look at your word, even though initially we begin as confused, with your Holy Spirit we can always find you and your love and your faithfulness right in the words that you've sent us. And we appreciate that you did that today. We appreciate that you loved Abraham that much. You were committed to your promise that much that you would do that to call him back to you, that you loved us that much that you would go to the extreme of nailing your own son to the cross so that we would remain in covenant with you, that we would be the family you called us to be. It really is all about you. You are a faithful God and you are faithful to your promises. We see that in Abraham and we want to receive it for ourselves. Lord, we see new people come in today and we're super thankful. We see people leaving us, we're sad but we recognize it's your story. We recognize that you are faithful. We recognize that there is a call on us as a community of believers. And in the good times, we will celebrate your faithfulness. In the times we struggle and we don't understand, we will recognize and choose to celebrate your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.